welcome to the Healthy Mindfuck Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Lee. This show is completely dedicated to giving you the stories, strategies, and top performance hacks from extraordinary minds around the globe. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Hey fam, I hope everyone has been amazing. I have some extraordinary news. After a long anticipated wait, Wired for Worthy is open. If you haven't heard about Wired for Worthy, it is our community. We are talking about the neuroscience of self-discovery because when it really comes to living our fullest potential, we are the thing that gets in our greatest way. And so many other things out there and a lot of things that I had come across are really teaching me what to think, but not how to think for myself. And when it came to utilizing the tools that these other teachers were instructing me when I was all alone, they no longer worked. I had to have them there. So what Wired for Worthy is really about is building tools in a toolbox that you can use and utilize for neurological self-regulation so that when things get challenging, you are not left high and dry. Inside of this group, we use biometric feedback and individualized results to help you achieve your goals, get the resistance out of the way, transform it, and live your fullest potential. For my healthy mind people that have been listening to this podcast since the beginning. If you go into the show notes, you'll notice that there's a special link inside of there that is going to give you an additional $20 off this community. It is not inside of a Facebook group. It's actually inside of its own built application. We could not be more excited for you to dive into that. So to get more information about that, go ahead and click the link in the show notes. And without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. What is going on, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Mindfuck Podcast. Today, I am really, really excited to have my new friend Gabby on here, who just caught my attention a few days ago by posting a longevity view of neural growth. And after that, one of our mutual friends had tagged me in about 465 per post and was like, you need to go check this person out. So I did my proper, adequate, not creeping, but research. And I'm really excited to bring Gabby here today because she has this extraordinary approach to understanding that our experiences create this subjective reality. And when we're able to combine that subjective reality with perhaps some science with a pixie dust sprinkling of spirituality or maybe a healthy dose gallon or two of that, potentially deep fried in spirituality, um, life really becomes magical again. And for someone like myself who went really hard into the sciences, spirituality required a lot of trust for me. And once you go far enough into the sciences, you kind of get into spirituality. That's a lot of like, you know, physicists at the end of it, start writing papers on quantum physics. And that's where they start to dabble in that. So eventually they do bridge each other and together. But what science has really allowed me to do is trust more in my spirituality. And the way that our new friend Gabby here is able to approach these subjects makes them really digestible for skeptics like me or healing skeptics and type A overachievers that tend to be attracted to this podcast. So Gabby, I'm really excited to have you here today. Let's party. Thanks for the magical intro. I'm super happy to be here too. Thanks for having me. So you posted that on the same day that I posted something that was a gif of like, you're a wizard, Harry. And it was like a little goldfish that's like, I'm a what? I just kind of have to look at it. But that's conversation for another day. Gabby, how the heck did you get where you are today? Not in New York right now, but how did you get into this specific field? Because nine times out of 10, it's not just like, well, it's, you know, I picked up a gum wrapper and it had this quote on it and here I am. Most people kind of get kicked and that ends up being a direction that they're taking. That's true. Well, I found in my experience, most people either get here because they have some kind of serious life event happen where they're literally faced to, we think everything that's happened to them, right? <laughs> have that sort of spiritual awakening or a wake up call where they physically have to undergo difficulties to understand that there's more to their perspective and to life in general, they're not sort of facing. So they start to look at themselves in the mirror and that whole catalysis of awareness comes in and just everything seems to change after that. For me, I think I started to pick up on an inner direction and inner focus that was just different from other people. So some people I think enter spirituality because we just are more in tune with ourselves and we realize we have a certain calling, certain view of the world that's just plain and simple different from that of other people. 
those differences are something I literally think every one of us has. We all have a beautiful, unique soul, energetic signature and purpose in the world, which is spiritual. So we're all these spiritual beings, you know, just having a physical experience. So in my case, I really felt this resistance within me early on where I knew that I had these different qualities. And I also knew that I could either give them up or I could actually accept them and explore this inner direction, explore my gifts, things that I'm good at, like writing, expressing myself in different ways, and just sort of thinking in a new direction. Even when I was challenged to sort of conform and to do things that other kids did at school, which is a, obviously a common struggle in today's very suppressed society. <laughs> so to me, I was just very curious and very open-minded. I'd say like my strongest quality that really led, led me down this path is curiosity. Always asking, you know, bigger questions, wanting to know a little bit more about how stuff works. I don't know if that's an aspect of personality or if that's really something that all of us have, but we're not always in tune in. So in my case, you know, I was an avid reader and I loved asking questions about like, what is energy? How does the body work? So my fascination with life in general began with the body. When I was three, I wanted to be a doctor and I was like reading books on how cells work and energy and all of this stuff. And I really started to understand the subtle world of energy from when I was like eight years old. I started to understand, okay, we have an energy field. There are these other dimensions of feeling and experience that a lot of people have no idea because if we just look into medicine, you know, typically people approach it like there's an issue, we can kind of resolve it with drugs or medicating a problem. But to me, exactly. To me, that was always like a shortcut that is just a lack of awareness because, you know, it's part of our inner work to understand why are we cultivating the experience we're having when it comes to health or any aspect of our life. And I've from a very early age started to realize these connections, I think kind of seeing a layer above or through what other people tend to see. So I couldn't close off that side of myself. I couldn't just close my eyes to something or unsee what I'd already realized was such a big problem. And when I was 13, I started to dive into some of these concepts like writing in newspapers about things like intuition and self-esteem. And this was stuff that I was not making up. I started to realize like, I don't know where this information is coming from, but I'm an instrument for it. It's like, I'm just a conduit for some kind of knowledge from source to come through me. And when adults were telling me that, you know, this is helping me see things differently or be more open-minded, I realized, you know, I can't make this up. There's something to me and to what I can bring people that I need to hone into. And so ultimately I decided to focus on that kind of convergence of science and spirituality and now pursue a PhD in natural medicine, which is just giving me a fuller perspective on how consciousness is creating everything in our physical world from you know, the problems, the lap lapses in awareness that create you know, issues that need growth and resolution, and also everything good that we have, we just manifest from our thoughts, from our mindset, from our intentions. And the more conscious we are of those connections, the better life becomes. So my main focus is on helping people reclaim their power when they realize fundamentally how this reality is created from these energies, from the way that we you know, create a focus that allows us to tune our energy into the energetic matrix of reality. And that's something that's been very empowering for people when I just help them understand, it's not about what like a spiritual teacher per se can tell them or something that they can you know, buy or get involved in spirituality, like some kind of a, a hyped up field of, probably what's part of your skepticism about it, like selling them something for fun to entertain them away from the truth of reality. It's all about just accepting reality as it is, claiming responsibility for all that you are and all that you have. And from that understanding, okay, this is why this is occurring. And this is how I can now understand myself enough to change the trajectory of my life. And I think, you know, that's empowering me with every day. And that's, that's all there is to it. And that's the end of the show. We're just going to drop the mic on that one and we're going to call it a day. There's such a direction of information that we could go in. There's so many forks in the road, but that early resistance that you experienced, um, I'd like to go into that a little bit because it's something that we talk about a lot on this show. We call it white ceiling syndrome, where you're kind of laying in bed, staring at the ceiling at night and just kind of wondering, you know, did I live my fullest potential? And for so many people, unfortunately, they never wake up with the same motivation for change that they get during that experience at night. 
how can they start to mobilize that energy inside of themselves to create a different life? Because, you know, like everything else that you had explained, so much of this comes down to this radical responsibility to claim our lives and how we're choosing to subjectively experience it. But if it's subjective, it's also able to change. How did you make that change? Well, for me, I grew up like in a very individual kind of a way where I strongly understood the difference between an individual perspective and that of everybody else. You know, the power of the self versus the power of the crowd or the mob mentality. And to me, I learned to derive a lot of even rewarding feelings by understanding that if you can create your own experience and if you can hone into what you want as opposed to what other people want or tell you, that's what allows you to grow in an individual way that nobody else can create for you. And I think all children, you know, we naturally are inclined to listen to ourselves in that way. When we want something, we do something. When we have an idea, we act on it. There comes a certain point where either we are doubted by other people, like our parents will suppress our desires or our talents, or we'll go to school and they tell us, you know, you can't do this or you can't explore that, or there's simply no time or space for the cultivation of those unique gifts that all of us bring into the world with us. That's how we shut down to that. So when people can realize, like there's a difference between the self that is actually me when I'm in the room staring at the ceiling and the self that I have created to fit into the world because we all have this persona and kind of a multifaceted ego where in certain situations we want to present ourselves one way just to feel comfortable or to fit in or to get what we want or think we need versus the self that comes home at the end of the day and still wants something and has certain passions and interests that nobody else even knows about. Like say, you're as a kid, you were really into art. And then in school, you, you know, decided to go into you know, medicine or something that your parents said, that's a better idea for you. So this is like this downward spiral we go in when we begin to create an identity based not on our own values, but on values assigned to us or on morals or principles that are just meant to help us conform and not to explore our true selves. So this is literally why people have these midlife crises, most likely, where, you know, sooner or later you understand, I'm plain and simple not happy because I have not been honoring who I am. We can't forget those aspects of us. They don't go anywhere ever. It's a matter of accepting them or rejecting them and just moving away to have life kind of throw that at us when there's enough problems or experiences with people that really put the mirror up to us. And we understand, like, I cannot be my false self all the time. There's certain things I need to acknowledge. And so I think it takes a lot of awareness and courage, even if we've been construing that persona and just dealing with that to ultimately, you know, take down the facade and ask ourselves, who am I? What do I actually want? And go for that, even if it's difficult. And even if it takes, you know, being kind of isolated to an extent. I've had times when I have not had many friends, when I have not been in a close interaction with people because I knew that they were not going to serve my growth in the direction that I ultimately want. And as you go down, then you start looking up with the right people, the right connections all come in. You find your, your so-called tribe, you know, your soul family, because you start to hone into those aspects of self that other people can then contribute to. And that's a beautiful thing where we can go from one self that is not really true and is still looking for more meaning and, you know, kind of acceptance to the version of us that we actually fully embrace and then is allowing us to feel happy because we find the right people and situations and everything and we just unfold our optimal path because that's our purpose. Boom. And boom, you must be reading out of like my journal entries because recently I started writing this article that talks it just in a very coherent way to what you're saying that the existence of like the nine to five is quite literally a trauma response that we're all living through this ego, which comes from fear, right? So like something has turned on this fear and that we're all living through this like fear of like holding expectations of this will make other people happy from that people pleasing response. But it all comes down to like this singular moment where at some point in time, we got some form of doubt when we expressed our genius or something inside of us and we didn't have the skills or the environment or you know caregivers that allowed us to like remove that resistance back to our genius and i think at some point in time you know a lot of us are going to be faced with that and then the process of like remembering that truth as we like you know grow into our full adult selves and we feel 
that resistance kind of like it's still built up and for a lot of people including myself it was like this it just feels kind of heavy at times and I feel like I'm not truly like living in my purpose um, one of like my favorite examples of this is uh, conversations with God where Neil Donald Walsh is this like you know 45 year old beer drinking belly dude and he just opens up a yellow legal pad and he just starts writing and he's like this this is not God right and then you know part of that conversation is like God connecting with him and speaking through him and saying, you know, there's nothing that you're ever going to learn, only remember. And that quote has stuck with me for so long. And especially when it comes down to this conversation of asking, you know, what the heck do you want? Well, what do you remember enjoying? Like what experiences during childhood, like really lit you up and how can you like re-experience that playfulness and the curiosity like you had, like when you were young, like I, I have a three-year-old daughter, her name's Phoenix and her curiosity for the world inspires me. Like I watched her play with a leaf the other day for like an hour and a half. And I was so in awe because she created a world around this leaf and it had like a village and like people to play. And it was a leaf, like a, a leaf. And I was like, how extraordinary is it that you had the capacity and lack of resistance to give a crap what anybody else was thinking at the park. And she created her own little microverse in that leaf. And it's still on our little like special table over here. And it's like those types of things and remembering that state of like innate curiosity. Like I truly believe the universe is constantly wanting to know, expel, know itself and like learn. It's constantly folding on itself. And I think at the core of that for our human experience is that curiosity. Yeah. How beautiful is that? That is like really what we were born with, that template of fully experiencing life as we should. These are qualities that all of us have and they're meant to help us go through life in such an open-minded way. It's kind of the way I think of it. Not, it's not that we're a blank slate. It's like we're a fully complex and complete individual. I think that babies technically are the wisest individuals because they have not been programmed to close off, right? They have a beautiful perspective. It is so clean and innocent and just curious and it's just beautiful to look at them because they embody the best that we can be if we hone into those aspects of ourselves and so to me that is like the imaginative qualities of childhood and the curiosity these are what we lose as adults and these are what we need to recall in ourselves in order to understand what wisdom even is for me when people ask me you know where did you get this from where did you get your wisdom I don't read books that, you know, to help me understand how to convey my thoughts. I, I don't do these things because, first of all, I don't believe in, in the idea that you need an idol to help you understand life or something like that. I don't even want to, you know, represent someone who knows it all because I don't. I share things from my heart in a way that simply flows through me. And when I have these internal feelings of knowing, I know that that's worth sharing. It is a degree of truth that I just, I don't make up, you know, it flows through and it's, it's in a way helping people understand that we all have that capacity within us. There's nothing that we cannot understand from other people that can't come from ourselves. And that is like, that's what babies lack, <laughs> but that's what if to take the timeline of events and if they would preserve those qualities of self, you know, every baby would be like a wise genius by the time they're 50, 60, if not for every obstacle that closed off these aspects of the self and created resistance to our own inner knowing. Ultimately, when we get programmed to believe things that don't serve us, we don't even trust ourselves enough to know what's right from wrong for ourselves. And that decision-making in knowing, you know, what should I listen to? What should I honor? What should I even do with my life? That's what should be taught in school, in my opinion. It's understanding, like, how can I gear my own consciousness in a way that serves me and serves humanity? Because our individual purpose is really all about that. It's how can I be a better part of the whole by creating wholeness within myself. And we are all whole to begin with, just getting shattered by these societal illusions and trap modes of thinking. But so it's kind of like a reverse process of when we understand, okay, so we have options now. <laughs> After we survive school, like what can we do now with the awareness we have? There's honestly a lot of truth to like separating aspects of self to analyze. Yeah. You know, this is like knowledge, this is fundamental information we should know, but we should also question things we've yeah. been taught to understand like what can we actually now get from all of this yeah question the answers type of thing i'm a huge fan of that everyone 
you know, one of, one of my family's like favorite quotes is like, you know, no need to reinvent the wheel. And I'm like, yeah, but like someone's going to have to build the hovercraft. Right. And like, I know like me well enough that I'm like, yeah, that's a good fancy wheel you got there, but like, I want to fly type of thing. And like, that might work for some people, but like something inside of me is saying like, let's put the hose on the other end of that vacuum. And then like puts like, I want to see how things work. And I think the resistance that we create in so many ways, people see them as roadblocks, but there's this ancient like Taoist quote that talks about a river flowing and the resistance that it meets is not meant to stop it. It's meant to redirect it. And I've always really loved that because the resistance that I've met in my life sometimes takes me at like a 90 degree turn, but it puts me into a place within myself that I'm like, sweet Lord above how, I don't even know how I got here. And then I like, will reflect on like, oh, it was that nasty trauma that I got to experience. That resistance wasn't a roadblock. It was a redirection into me claiming more of myself and standing in my power and honestly not giving two hoots what other people think. And sometimes that even means my family and standing in my own power of like, yeah, I like what you guys are saying. I respect that. I see that. It just doesn't feel super great to me. Like I know I don't really love like bacon ice cream. And I tried that one time and I'm not going to have bacon ice cream again. I tried that flavor and no thanks for anybody else that's out there. I don't really recommend it if I'm being completely honest. Um, but that's like the, the human experience that we get to be a part of is trying those different things and the resistance, you know, um, there's that old stoicism quote that um, the way in is out or that, that type of thing um, mm -hmm. or the way out is through, right? It's through, right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and cultivating and that understanding of how to think instead of what to think. And then we kind of briefly talked about that before we got in, but go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, like what you said, resistance has to do with everything that we decide is a bad experience, and that makes us feel like all of a sudden, you know, we're a victim right now, and that's bad, and that happened to us. It's a mistake. It's a problem. Okay, as soon as we decide that something went wrong, and all of a sudden we deserve something bad to happen, that in itself is creating so many levels of roadblocks, like you said, that I think that's like literally the, the cause of manifesting extra difficulties down the road. As soon as you begin to think that somehow the universe is against you or you're now destined to face more and more issues, thinking that that is true is what is going to make it true. It's kind of like the nocebo effect, right? Like yeah. the adverse effect is just going to push you down that direction. Super negative way of thinking. And as soon as people fall into that trap, they begin to think that, okay, like the problems cannot be evaded and they actually are not. Like what you were saying with resistance made me think about pain too. Pain is a kind of experience that is meant to help us shape our awareness. Usually when we're in a state of pain, we don't know how to respond to it and we kind of shut down. Yeah. But going into the pain, understanding what is it trying to tell us is one way of understanding what is the experience actually unfolding about ourselves because we did manifest every experience. It's kind of ironic to think like when we go through something difficult, how can that be a good thing? But ultimately, like our higher self or a higher consciousness that's behind our soul template is a very intelligent kind of a design. Everything was made to help us realize what the heck we are and what we're supposed to do with our lives and kind of make us hone into these even difficult aspects of self that we would not know without difficult experiences. So understanding that, I think, creates like a great depth of awareness and wisdom and understanding to honor even these very challenging times and see them almost as gifts. Because if we can understand like every aspect of the journey is a gift, it's kind of unlocking a different key of understanding that can really smoothen the, the whole ride. And if something bad happens, we can accept it and ultimately go through that challenge a lot faster than if we believe that, okay, that's it, you know, like we're, we're screwed now. <laughs> and that's actually going to create a whole resistant block to any kind of future development mm -hmm. because it just curbs what you can get from it. Yeah, I love, I love this. This is so, so great. Um, one of my mentors said this quote that life is a roller coaster, and those that initially start with the fear of heights and never claim that as a responsibility will never truly experience and enjoy the ride. They're always going to be kind of this perpetual like flinch of like what's going to happen next versus those that are curious, the ones that are like, oh, what is next type of thing and being able to do that and incorporate those like challenging experiences and saying, well, what is actually making me say that this is bad because just because it's hard doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. And that's something that I personally intellectually know very well. And then when it's come to, all right, 
let's experience this thing instead of just like constantly like, you know, mentally massaging it over and over again, what would it actually feel like inside of my body to surrender or like release and like do the things that like my system's like, but this defines us, Christopher, like this, this trauma is us. And it's like, yeah, I don't know if it's that, if that's so true anymore, actually, what if like, what if we just put the fear over here for a second and just to like another observational standpoint. So instead of like staring at the wall, if I did like a 180, oh my gosh, there's a sunset. I get to enjoy that instead of like staring blankly at the wall, like anticipating that like it's gym class in seventh grade, I'm waiting for a dodgeball to constantly hit me. What if I like embraced the suck and like started like leaning into like my own potential, even if it is challenging or hard, because even if it's those things, it doesn't mean that it's bad. Right. Yeah, that's that's the whole nature of dualistic perception. When we always think between like it's got to be this or that, either or, and we end up getting locked up in a state of fear. And fear yeah. is obviously it's like the biggest thing that that just is, is a hurdle for everything. The the funny thing about those comfort zones is that they're actually hurting us, and we delude ourselves into thinking that if we're comfortable as we are right now, and we're kind of okay, and we can kind of accept our current state, but we actually have this nagging desire and inner calling to do something that we know we need to do, but there is always that level of fear and uncertainty, like, should I do this? What will people think about me? Is it worth it? There's always a net gain if we hone into feelings and, and claim what we actually want to do. And that's how I think a lot of people end up down this path, like you're saying about spirituality. Like a lot of people I even know in this spiritual field with metaphysics and kind of uh, holistic teachings, they all began in another direction. They all began by trying the traditional medicine and and end up switching their careers and their focus just because they realize, no, it's not worth it to surrender or to kind of compromise on my truth by just maintaining the comfortable job that I have or the current status or something. It's just such an overwhelming desire to experience yourself operating in line with your own values. When you start to realize that what I'm doing is allowing the fear to eat away at my own kind of purpose, my sole desire to be something which I actually am. And we, we often lose that, I think living in that bubble of perpetually stopping ourselves when we have feelings and, and desires and intentions that don't somehow fit into society's expectations is the way that we, you know, we, we screw ourselves up all the time and ultimately don't get anywhere. Yeah. I could, could not agree more. I think the, this pathology of fear running around and like hindering your existence is such like a learned behavior. Like we can go all the way back to those old psychology uh, studies with, you know, German shepherds and like the learned helplessness type of thing. Um, but like dimming your own light to make other people seem brighter is like almost built into like the school system, unfortunately. And I remember having a friend, um, his name was like Jeffrey in middle school. And the dude was like, just crushed it. He was like the most gentle human being on the face of the earth. And I remember a teacher like sitting there and he had always like so many questions and like, they weren't like bad questions. Like he was like trying to go do something, but like one day the teacher's just like, Jeffrey, like just stop. And like, that has like stuck with me for so long. And like, I hope like Jeffrey uh, is out there just like crushing it at NASA or something like that. I I think he honestly is like, I think he got out of school and like went to like a private school and I'm like, but that moment stuck with me for so long, like obviously like 20 years to like today. And I'm like, I, I witnessed that so many times where it's like, yeah, like public schools and I'm not like hindering this against like any of our teachers out there or the system. Like it was very much built from like the industrial era to kind of like hit the averages, right? But like, what about like the extraordinary? And at the other end of the spectrum, what about those like creatives that are not meant to be in the school system? Like what about the ones that thrive in art class but drown in math? Like why does that determine their worth? Why if they're better at like the STEM classes are they better fit for society? when Forbes for 10 years running now has said that creativity is the number one attribute that like people are looking for in resumes. Like, do you have like creative output? Well, no, because they got doubt and shame and guilt for being good at art and not good at math. And now we're like kind of sitting over here in this like hyper mentalized, like left brain world, like wondering like, where's our creative solutions? Well, they're still locked up in childhood traumas and like the creative geniuses that are out there in their nine to five corporate jobs, like trying to hold on for dear life. 
Yeah, you're right. That's such an intense problem. We can't teach creative thinking in an art class because in itself being stuck in a structure where we can't choose and even like forcing kids to wake up early in the morning and do homework at a set time and take certain classes and have certain teachers and sit in certain rows in school and and literally every component of the system is meant to imprison the mind and, and to fall into a certain structure to learn to conform and to do and to live in a kind of automated existence. And, and the thing is, people will get used to that. We can train ourselves like dogs to do anything, to fulfill certain functions and to fit into this industrialized world. But yeah. can we train ourselves to be happy doing that? Absolutely not. That's the thing. We can kind of condition ourselves, but that's not the same as fully doing away with, with what you want. And it is like kind of a robotic way of living. There's it's, literally it's a part of the brain that is called the default mode network. And it's a branch of your autonomic nervous system that says, if you've ever been driving your car and you're just like, holy shit, I'm, I'm driving a car. Like that's your default mode network kind of kicked in. And it's because the brain's an efficiency exchange. And if it recognizes the pattern and it can predict with overwhelming certainty, the next 10 to 20 minutes, it'll put you on like sleep mode. Like I could put my computer on sleep mode. It's still running some functions in the background, but like that's what the default mode network does. And it's like, oh, why would I waste energy on this? If I know there's potential fear in the future, well, I'm not ever gonna live in my creative purpose because like I'm just anticipating like the worst case scenario to like swing and like sucker punch me again when I do express those things. And I so agree with what you're saying. It's like. When I started to get into like the education of all these different things a little bit more as my daughter got more towards like the school age, it was like, ah, we have really great public schools here. And I'm like, ah, yeah, but like, man, I love like the Waldorf method and I really love Montessori and things like that. And then I like was going to like interview at those places. I'm like, man, that is awesome. They like take snapshots of like, this is what your kid's really good at right now. So like, we're letting them do that. And I was like, yeah, where do I sign up? Like, this is amazing. And then like watching the children play at those schools is so different than watching like other children. And again, I'm not saying anything bad for like, if you're, if your child's in public school, I am a really happy product of public school and 10 years of professional school. Right. And like, I'm okay. Most days. However, like these other kids, like, I'm just like, man, like, look at you thriving. I have a friend. She's, she was on the podcast. Her name is Megan. She went to like a Montessori school and she like talks so much about like yeah, it set me up for success because I didn't have these like built-in like resistant pathways of like getting expressed versus like some of my other friends that she talks about that went to public school. Like they loved art class. They never wanted to leave or they loved gym and playing outside. They never wanted to leave. But then we're like forcing like the light of this child's genius into mathematics when like that part of the brain isn't even booted up until you're like 16 years old. Like why am I forcing you to do a function that like, it can't do like I'm trying to like use my phone as a hammer when really I can just like download information on that and like use it for its proper function and then when it comes to like putting that like nail in the wall then I can use the hammer like there's different tools for different seasons type of thing anyways we can go down a really long tangent on that <laughs> yeah but you're so right it's something that really is not shown us how to how to do how to be an individual in such a way and I've experienced that many times myself. Like, I think the extraordinary or the genius is just not honored in the school system. Those kids who are really at the top of their class, they don't really get an advantage for being up there. It's the average student. It's the one who's just, you know, kind of passing through, who's not creating issues within the system. And who's just, you know, who's just doing it. Who's not trying to excel or to really be an achiever by setting their own standards and by trying to raise the platform, even challenging what other people tell them because it's 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 really like that I, you know I've, I've had these experiences like you mentioned earlier like you know something in school with i used to be pretty outspoken I used to raise my hand and i had kind of that moment of you know just getting it and showing teachers that and then at some point you know i was told the same thing like maybe you shouldn't do that and i i really shut up like for a while i i just could not then express myself in the way i wanted because i was like okay well this is useless you start to associate yourself and your uniqueness with just shame and you don't want to be ridiculed for, for what you think or what you do. And I had an early experience with consciousness stuff too. I, I did a science lab experiment. <laughs> I like to tell people this story because you know a lot of people relate to this. When you, when you do something that's just kind of outside of the box and you end up being fit into the box and kind of shamed for it because it's just, it's so different that kids were telling me, no, this is stupid. What are you doing? Talking about energy and what is this consciousness stuff? And to me, it was like the mind blowing moment of my 
elementary school life when I like I did this onion bulb experiment and I was saying affirmations to them. This is based on the work of Masaru Moto with like charging the water and it ends up changing the molecular structure of the water due to the frequency and the vibration. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is proof of like this other side of the world that we're not seeing. And they were just laughing. I remember coming home and just crying and being like, this is useless, you know, like who cares about this? And going through those moments, then I think consciously as an adult, when you look back and you realize that, okay, so I had a choice back then, but I didn't even know it because the feelings I was going through just shut me down. And my genius that I now realize could have, you know, unleashed my potential was, was not acknowledged in the way that it should have been. So it is very difficult to, to understand what is extraordinary in a world where extraordinary isn't even really honored or to actually do the most extraordinary things. We need to walk the path alone with a lot of courage, not get approval, not be received favorably, go through a lot of trials and tribulations or go down the entrepreneurial route, which has a lot more risks. And it's just, you know, ultimately it doesn't seem as sweet as just going down the corporate route. Yeah. So for a lot of people, that's the choice we need to make. Will we just go with that flow or will we embrace our own and go through these ups and downs, but ultimately do what's right for us? So it's an individual calling, but I think it's the most rewarding one we could choose. Yeah. And to like piggyback off of that, just about every neuroscience, neurobiology, behavioral research says, you know, what gets rewarded gets repeated and what gets repeated gets rewired. Like every single thing. And the things that like never got rewarded are like the exceptional or out of the ordinary because they don't fit inside of like the cube of the average. And, you know, in some things they get rewarded like sports, for example, but like, man, I remember a friend of mine back in middle school, again, her name was Courtney. Like we're supposed to be making these like paper mache animals. And I made this like parrot art has never been mine. And it was like, oh, wow, look at that thing. And I got a really nice like B on it. And I was like, cool, don't care. And then I like looked over and this chick made a dragon. Like not like, a, oh, that's a dragon. I was like, that's a, that's a dragon. Like you made a dragon. I made a parrot, you made a dragon. And she got the same like grade as, and I was like, how, what? She made a dragon. She made a full blown, I made a parrot with like three colors. This chick made a fire breathing dragon like, and I was always so confused. And like, I remember asking my mom about that and she's just like, you know, different things get rewarded in different way. And I was like, something about that just doesn't make sense. And again, it goes back to like the spectrum of like, even now I'm still talking about it. Like, it's like, oh, well, because we both got B's that wasn't as great as an A versus, you know, and it's like building these like perfectionist type A overachievers, everyone that likes to listen to this podcast of like, who said that B was bad? right? Well, the judgment and comparison and shame of like my brother or everybody else, like it's so set up to like compare and judge and shame based on this, like not even like, oh, it's, it's a little bit better or it's a little bit worse. It's like black and white. This is an A, this is a B, you pass, you fail. And I receive love from the acceptance of my peers, like attachment theory 101. And, oh, you got a B. Did you try your hardest? No, it's like, what'd you do? Like, what can you do better next time? Like, I tried really fucking hard on that thing, right? And I'm like, mm -hmm. but still, like, there's there's all those different challenges that kind of go along with there. So I have an interesting question for you. If everything started to, like, pan out globally in the next 10 years, where would you like to see school systems? Hmm. That's, a, that's a big question. I think the whole system needs to be reformed, kind of decentralized in a way that allows first of all, students to have a lot of freedom. Like the Montessori model is the closest that I could say is how it should look individually. But for there to be options, like maybe even whole schools dedicated to a certain mentality. Like there are some schools that are more based on consciousness, principles of, I see schools with kind of a Zen Buddhist philosophy behind them. And then, you know, where principles like meditation are brought up and kids can actually practice certain skills that are maybe brought up at home. And so there's a, a sort of cross-cultural interaction between, you know, the culture at home, that whole atmosphere going on and what kids can experience at school, where their friends are going to be people of a like mind from similar sorts of families, not in terms of socioeconomic status, but actually from an interest-based level. It's kind of making me think of that book, Divergent. I don't know if you, oh, if you read it or saw it, right? It. Like 
see sort of these factions or groups of people that are similar in terms of who they are. And we're all like that. We even see that, I'm going up a little tangent here, but thinking of like zodiac signs or, you know, certain, there are classes of people and characteristics and traits that really define who we are. We see these as themes between human beings in general. So to me, it would be just fascinating to see what a school system could look like if it had to do with sort of like, um, like analyzing a student's personality and seeing how the school can allow them to more fully explore these qualities and these skills that they're just that are wired within them yeah. as, as children. So things like that and just having a very flexible approach, different kinds of school hours, maybe making homework not mandatory. I think in Switzerland, like homework is, is not mandatory or they'll like they'll reward kids for going to college or something like that. So there's a whole yeah, other merit-based system. Yeah, behind yeah studying what you actually want and, and and kids want to go to school there, there can't be this whole you know stigma behind school from from the perspective of kids where it's just it's always a challenge and it's some kind of grueling struggle you know your, your teachers are forcing you to do things you don't want to do there has to be a very open kind of discussion-based platform a lot of interaction a lot of more hands-on stuff and i think that would it really requires analyzing what a kid is good at Yes. And, and not condoning them for what they're not good at or what they simply don't want to do. Because even at a young age, if a kid is really like averse to math or history or something like that, if that is triggering some resistance within them, rather than forcing that, you can just understand, okay, well, in order for them to, you know, grow in a certain kind of awareness and intellectualize them in a certain capacity, just give them a different kind of thing to study or to look at or to read. It's more of the essential skills that need to be brought up, the thinking, the creativity. I think that honestly, certain wisdom should be even taught at school. Certain, you know, they're like spiritual books where they just teach ideas of, of oneness and integration and peace and things like mindfulness, maybe teach yeah. kids breath work and things to cope strategies to cope with stress and stuff like that. More of a platform for how to survive as a human in a way that lets you understand your humanness and, and the whole, you know, possibilities that the self has rather than just like reading a book and regurgitating information, because that is the old paradigm. Like, like we're so through that <laughs> and we have access to all this information at any time. We always look stuff up when we need to, but to just take these tests and, and to still be part of a formal system so structured around age old material that we don't necessarily need anymore. I think it's just, we should be done with that. No, <laughs> so I mean, around the I'm globe, not about great change. Yeah, I, I think you, you nailed it. Like relying on technology, I, I think that's probably not the greatest approach either. However, I could probably gander that in the next 10 years, you know, if we continue to like shatter Moore's law of like technological advancement, which is like exponential, like one over one constant growth, like in 10 years from now, like who knows, like what we'll be able to like share information wise. Um, and we've been able to see this, like one of my favorite examples of like uh, the younger generations, like kind of like understanding how to use technology to like mold their environments is somewhere in California last year, the school board created this application um, for everyone that had uh, Apple products, which was the entire school board. Um, and you use this app to log in and do your homework. Well, the students found out that if you downvote one star enough times that the app gets taken off the app store because it's outside of that. So like 200,000 people, not only like the school district had like 4,000 students, but it got around so much because Gen Z is connected and it like got voted, it got taken down in like three and a half hours. And like wow. the school board had to totally do it. And like during that period of time, they're like, well, yeah, like why don't you ask the students what they want? Cause like they just like shut you up pretty quick. And I'm like, you know, not about like suppressing um, like those types of old systems, but like, what if we evolved? Like, cool, you guys didn't like that. Like, what do you want? Like, let's have that type of conversation because I know I sat in history class for a long period of time and I don't really use that information a whole like lot. Like what if maybe they taught us like, oh, I don't know how to pay my taxes would have been a really cool one. Or I don't know, maybe process trauma or grief, or I don't know, like build a purpose or a vision that wasn't through like monster.com when I was 13 years old and like asked me questions for like, well, what do you want? Well, you know, a dentist makes a lot of money and you know, those people, and that was like how they like always set it up. Like I remember in eighth grade, we went like, oh, go to a job fair. And they had it set up literally in the gym based on how much money it made. 
like these jobs make like the average salary of like 70,000. And then these ones make, you know, somewhere 70 to hundred. And then these ones make, you know, hundred thousand dollars or more. And it was like, now I'm like, looking back, I'm like, what? Like, what is going on over there? Like, this is, this is like how so many of us were like kind of set up. And it's so indoctrinated to think that like, oh, more money equals better versus like now, like the happiest people. So the literally happiest people I know make around like maybe $30,000 a year and they live out of an RV, a really nice RV. Um, but they have two kids and they travel and everything around their entire life is built on experiences and their kids are thriving. Never been to a school. Their kids are five and six. Some of the smartest kids I've ever met, like Captain Fantastic Smart. If you haven't seen that movie, highly, highly recommend it. And I'm like, where, like, where'd they learn that? And like, oh, we watch like documentaries together. Like, you know, we read books or they ask me questions about the books that I'm reading. I'm like, y'all are doing the damn thing. Like, good for you. Um, So we're going to like have to like bridge this into like another part. But like, if you could wrap a lot of this conversation up today, Gabby, into like some like takeaway points for our people, how can they start to like initiate these like changes inside of themselves? Because again, like we go back to like our original starting point, it's all about claiming self-responsibility and not being the victim of your circumstances, but saying, great, I brought myself into this moment, which also means I can bring myself back out. How can people start to like leverage that responsibility and then be the change they wish to see? I think the first step is a step back. It's kind of dissociating from the constant need to control and to kind of know everything that's going on in the situation because it's a little bit overwhelming sometimes when you realize, okay, I'm at the midline, like I need a change or I need to, you know, reform something in my belief system. I don't know what it is. Instead of getting overwhelmed and consumed by the polarizing perspective that you hold, rather take a step back and just you know, breathe and look at the situation and yourself from another perspective. I like to think of this kind of zooming out and just seeing the whole. It just kind of lifts a weight off your shoulders and you begin to see like your problems are really small from a universal perspective. And everything that needs to change can change from really a shift in focus and, and a realignment of values and, and just clarifying yourself based on what do you actually feel that you don't even know you want to feel because you're so locked up in a mode of just doing, doing, doing and living in an automated kind of way based on your old self and these subconscious beliefs that have already been laid and causing you to operate from fear or from you know, shame. Like we were saying all of these things, even from childhood that could have been leading us down a certain direction and kind of do a little active mental time travel. Think about what made you the person you are today, maybe 10 or 20 years ago. And how could you change yourself now by just redefining your experience based on like kind of what did life give you and how can you actually gain the most from understanding what all of it was for? So I'd say the most important thing is, first of all, finding gratitude for the journey, for everything that you are, all who you are. Nothing good, no change positively can be created from a place of blame or shame or any kinds of resistance where you're, you know, you feel down about who you are and focusing on these mistakes or on personal issues. There are no problematic aspects of self that are permanent or that, you know, can't be modified in such a way that you begin to see your value even behind them. I always say like every coin is two sides. And as soon as we step away from that dualistic thinking of like, okay, this is the problem. I can't do anything about it because I'm attached to it. And rather see actually the bright side to the problem or the bright side underneath even difficult aspects of self. Like for instance, the person who can constantly not fit in and doesn't know what to do with themselves. Maybe they're a creative genius on the other side of that. And how can you now understand given where your strengths are and where you've been suppressing them, how you can then alchemize that into beautiful potential for yourself to grow and to try new things. It's more about then understanding the trajectory. Where do I want to be? And how amazing will my life unfold if I give myself the space and really fuel myself enough personally without anybody else's approval or caring about their judgment to just do what is right for me? Because ultimately, that's what makes beautiful human beings. That's how we can contribute positively to society only by being bold enough to be ourselves and to really not give a crap about what other people think, that is, that is huge. And I know that, you know, even in the spiritual field, a lot of people are people pleasers and they will do things just because others want to hear that from them. And, you know, I see a lot of falsity. And if we understand where we're being fake with ourselves in the first place, we can change 
you know, the aspects that are not serving us and really begin to show a pure, you know, trace in the world. We can inspire people just by being a true individual, just unafraid to be us. And that is what's going to catalyze a movement of authenticity and helping people to awaken to really the unique colors that all of us have that aren't brought up in school, that usually aren't approved of, but ultimately is what we need to latch onto in order to create the life that we actually want to live. Yes, a thousand times over yes. Gabby, if people wanna connect with you or find out more of what you got going on, how can they do that? Um, the best place to find me is on Instagram at the moment. I'm constantly updating it and I'll be sharing more information about any future work on there. So it's just at Gabby Kovalenko, G-A-B-I-K-O-V-A-L-E-N-K-O. And lots of content on there. So I hope you guys check it out. Heck yeah, guys, definitely go do that. Those are always in the show notes. Go check it out. And hopefully by the time this is coming out, I should have had a post on Instagram that'll also be tagging her. Um, so you can find it that way as well. But Gabby, I want to thank you so much. Like my whiteboard is just this amazing spider web of notes right now. So thank you for expanding this conversation and opening up what can potentially be challenging things. I can't wait to have you back and have an amazing, amazing day. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I hope you had an amazing time on this episode. As always, I want to give a huge shout out to our guest for swinging through here and dropping knowledge. And if you guys had a special takeaway, something that really stuck with you, if you could do us a favor and just drop that in a comment, in a review on the show, it helps us out tremendously. It also gives us the necessary feedback so we can continue to bring on guests that inspire you to be your best possible self. And if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram at Dr. Chris Lee, give me a follow. And if you go into the link in my bio right there, you'll also see that Wired for Worthy are neuroscience-based, expressive, amazing group of unicorns community is open and ready to go. Or you can have this little secret. If you go to the show notes of this show and click on Wired for Worthy Community, what you will find is actually a $20 coupon to get inside of the community itself and start your journey to emotional freedom. Thank you so much for being a part of this family, and we will see you on the next one.